This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Jerkins, and you're listening to the Batman Hello, everybody, and welcome to TBU's Comic Podcast. I have with me... This is Steph. And this is Chris. And I'm Ian. Uh, Dustin is once again taking a well-deserved break, so we're going to hold down the fort while he is uh, doing that. We have three main comic book reviews because we skipped a week, so we're going to be doing Batman number 79, Detective Comics number 1012, and Batman number 80. Um... But first, let's cover the news. Um, despite the fact that New York Comic Con happened over the last weekend, we don't have a ton of Batman-specific news. But the first article I have is the new Batman creative team was announced uh, a couple weeks ago. After Tom King finishes City of Bane with Batman number 85 and moves on to Batman Catwoman in January... James Tynan IV will be writing, and Tony Daniel will be drawing the ongoing Batman title, starting with number 86. Um, James Tynan has said that he will focus on Bruce, um, that Batman will have a supporting cast, but unlike the Batman Eternals or his run on Detective Comics, it's going to focus on Bruce himself, Bruce as the main character with his own arc. Um Tony Daniel, who was doing a lot of City of Bane, but uh, was pulled off for a couple of different reasons, is going to be doing the art, and it's kind of exciting to see him going back on uh, the Batman title. I hope that he's able to stay on for at least the first six issues. That would be nice, because Batman, like all DC titles, is going to be going monthly starting in January when Tynan starts. Um, what do you guys think about our new Batman creative team starting in January? Well, there's a little bit of hope it'll be more of a family book, since Tanya's on it, and that's what he did with Detective Comics, but I hope he doesn't, like, flip, not flip-flop, but go do a 180 and do the opposite of that, just to be different than Detective Comics. That would be a bit of a shame. Well, he has said that he's writing Catwoman, and he's said that there's going to be a supporting cast, um, but I think it's not going to be an ensemble book like his previous books mm-hmm. were. So Batman's going to be the main character, but he'll have people showing up, which I think is appropriate for a book called Batman. Well, what about um, the news that uh, Batman is going to change people? Like, uh, uh, who is Batman is going to change at 100 when it reboots? 
Well, at the or minimum, we're not talking about that. At the minimum, that's going to be uh, January of 2021. Oh, uh, is that? Yeah, I mean, because that's at 100, and yeah, uh, that's, that's 15 issues that's later. So we don't really have any know. news on that. That's just a rumor by people I think are very unreliable. So, oh, okay. I have no problem okay. with like Luke Fox having an arc or even a year being Batman, but I think it's really unlikely. I just don't see that working organically. I guess it depends on what happens. Bum, bum, bum. Chris, do you have any thoughts on our new Batman team? I think it's a good choice. I think it's a safe choice. I was hoping that it might be somebody that I have not been familiar with. I wondered if something along the lines of Bennis was going to switch over from like uh, the universe and the material that he did with the Walmart books and perhaps try to do another extending arc. I thought that this was a turning point for the character where we could have perhaps went in a direction, but I think DC is playing it safe and stable for for now, perhaps trying to not rock the boat and more or less appeal to the masses. I'll get off my soapbox. I, I was hoping for maybe somebody, something a little bit new, something different, but uh, I really am pleased with Tony Daniels' art, and, and, and I do like Tinian's writing. Uh, but I, I just wanted to see somebody uh, new take a stab at it that I'm not familiar with, and just to see a little different interpretation of the character and a little bit more of a direction. It does offer a little bit of stability, crossing fingers, and I do like the inclusion of the Bat family. Well, yeah, I think right now, after Tom King's shakeup, they probably want to just calm people's pants down a little bit or whatever and and yeah i I agree um i i didn't even consider uh tying in as an option just because um even though he's one of my favorite writers he's not at quite at that level where i'd think that dc would would put him on their best-selling book of you know all time really um i i completely agree with you chris he is safe he's a a student of Snyder and a collaborator of Snyder. He's been very loyal to DC. He's been a good company man. He's been really, um, he's a great ambassador to fans. Like if you've ever, ever met him at a convention, he's incredibly friendly. He nerds out with you about all the stuff he's doing. And on Twitter, he does the same thing. He's just a really warm, fun guy. So I think they really wanted someone who could uh, not rock the boat. Like he's going to, I think he's going to be ambitious. I mean, he, he loves doing a big story, but it's never something that um, I would say challenges. And the thing about that is I like being challenged sometimes. Like, I think Tom Ch- King has challenged me um, as a fan by doing things that I don't like. But I would say that Scott Snyder and Grant Morrison also challenged me, and I, I didn't. I wasn't really a fan of those runs. Now, I know a lot of people were, but it's it's a gamble. And... I think DC doesn't want to gamble right now. They want to try and rebuild a sense of momentum. Whereas uh, even though I think Tom King has momentum, he's he's been going for so long and there are people who really like him, but there's also just a really strong group of people who don't like him. And that conversation has been going for so long that it's really hard to change it with the same mm-hmm. writer. Uh, and getting another controversial writer, someone who takes a lot of really strange chances that not might not pay off, I think wasn't a great great choice. And some of the choices I heard being thrown around were like Joel Jones or maybe like Sean Murphy or all these people who are exciting and have done interesting solo work. But 
I think that the idea of getting a really tried and true and tested writer who who's not going to surprise you with things that will turn a lot of people off is a good choice at this stage in the um, the DC universe because the DC universe as a whole we've been going for a long time without any serious events that have lifted sales across the board. Um, Metal was incredibly popular by itself, but it didn't lift all the titles that it touched. Justice League is not selling as well as I think they hoped. It's not selling Metal-like numbers, and it's definitely not lifting its own titles. Like Justice League Odyssey and Justice League Dark are not selling well at all. So I think DC is building to some kind of big shakeup to hopefully get people excited and get people into like a new line but they need time to do that. And I hope that they take the time that Tynan gives them to, to do it right. And it's not like the new 52 where they just cancel a bunch of series in the middle and relaunch. Um, so that's my hope is that they're thinking about a year out and they're thinking about a relaunch of some sort with a lot of planning. Um, so that's my thoughts on the, the new Batman creative team. We had another announcement which was that the Birds of Prey series that Brian Azzarello was going to write and uh, Emanuela Lupacino was going to draw has been changed from a mainstream continuity book to a black label book that may or may not be in continuity. Um, As someone who loves the Birds of Prey but was not excited about Brian Azzarello's involvement... I think this is kind of good because it means it won't necessarily damage the characters or the team name the way that the Dwayne Srizinski and Christy Marks run in the New 52 did. That really just turned the brand brand of Birds of Prey into an incredibly generic and poorly written uh, title that didn't have a reason for existing other than giving Black Canary something to do. Like all the other characters in that were either created just for the title and no one cared about them or they had other books that they were much more popular in. So I'm hoping that this move signals that DC has a better plan for Huntress and uh, Black Canary in the mainstream continuity. Uh, What do you guys think about changing from mainstream to the black label for this project? Do you think the change has anything to do with making it more like the movie or, or do you think they're pretty much separate? My personal bet is that this has more to do with the fact that Harley Quinn's going to be in Suicide Squad and they don't want yeah. to split that brand. I like how suddenly they kind of care about continuity. <laughs> They're like, oh, we've been doing it this way the whole time, but you know, now we're serious business. <laughs> Chris, do you have any thoughts on Birds of Prey changing? Yes, I'm news? with you, Ian. I, I don't know anyone at all who is a fan of the announcement with Azarello on this. I think uh, this was uh, submissively uh, rejected by, by fandom, and I, I, I'm kind of glad that it did happen. I, I kind of shuddered to see what the finished product would have been. Uh, that said, I'm a little curious with respect to the Black Label. Now, with the creative team, I know this is going to be a fun book, and this should have a, a broad appeal, but that said, uh, at my local comic shop, there were a lot of fans, and I don't know with respective to the age and the content, is this going to be something a little bit more mature, a little bit more darker? I, I, I wonder if we're going to get like uh, some preteen girls who are going to see this movie and they're going to just go absolutely wanting to get the new product, but then 
the black label might just sort of mm-hmm. be something there. You know, it'll have a little bit of a, a taboo uh, <laughs> branding with this. Mm-hmm. So I I, I, I I take it with a little bit of pro and a little bit of con. I, I, I just don't know why we have to do that with the black label thing. I, I, I just had hoped for a new book starting fresh. If that was possible, I do want the inclusion. I really hope we get to see some uh, interaction with uh, Black Canary and the Huntress. I hope they do have significant roles in this series, and I've got my fingers crossed. So we'll see what happens. A good attitude. Uh, we're going to move on to a very similar story um, over New York Comic Con, I believe it was. Uh, it was announced that Amanda Connor and uh, Jimmy Palmiotti were going to be doing their own. Uh, black label series called Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. Um, this was released with a piece of art by Amanda Connor, who uh, drew recently um, the Batman number 68. I think it was 68. It was one of the nightmares, and mm-hmm. she um, drew basically a cover inspired by the movie. Now, as far as I can tell, the writing on this series isn't very far, so there's a lot of stuff still in flux. But the fact that she's drawing the cover from the movie seems like this is going to be really going for movie synergy, and it's almost certainly not going to be in continuity. Similar to how uh, Palmiotti and Connor's uh, previous Harley Quinn series was only tangentially connected to what was going on in the rest of the DC universe. Um I think that this is going to be fun, but I read a bunch of um, some of the stuff that uh, Connor and Palmiani did with Harley Quinn, like Harley's Little Black Book. And I think this is just going to be a four-issue long version of Harley's Little Black Book. And while that was fun, it's not going to be groundbreaking. I think that the fact that Connor's doing the art is one of the most exciting things about this. But, I mean, Emanuela Lupacino is doing the art on uh, Brian Azzarello's Birds of Prey. So... The the art on both of these projects is going to be great. The problem is neither of them seem to be very connected to the historical Birds of Prey, which is something we could also say about the trailer that was released for Birds of Prey. Um, now, I don't want to get too much into the trailer because I think we'll probably try and do some bonus content for you patrons about the uh, the various films. But I think that this is a clear case where something that isn't connected to the comics becomes central to a lot of comics um, and possibly changes the property at least for a good long while. Steph, what do you, what do you think about the, the Amanda Connor Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey? Well, it's a little confusing that there's two Birds of Prey's coming out, both with Harley Quinn, even though one's a miniseries, both in Black Label, both out of continuity, I don't know. That's my guess. I mean, That's, so far they haven't put anything in Black Label and continuity yet. And if it is based more on the movie style, then I would hope it's not within continuity. But, yeah, I have some things to say about the trailer. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, ugh, I don't know. And especially, like, like, what's the point of putting it in Black Label? Like, what is it that they want to push the envelope on, if anything, on that? Or they just want the room to do it if they want to? Like I was saying for for, for some stuff, it's like, I don't want this to be in Black Label just so they force some stuff to happen. Like nudity, which <laughs> probably won't happen again. <laughs> or, or scandalousness or whatever, or foul language. It's like... 
for the sake doing it for the sake of it is no fun. So I hope that they don't force things in the black label that that aren't necessary. I don't know. I'm kind and of the Palmiati art style. I just don't know if if um, sexy really comes off well. <laughs> well, that's actually an interesting point. I I want to bring up something called um, Before Watchmen Silk Spectre, which was part of the very controversial project where they did a bunch of prequels to Watchmen, and Amanda Connor co-wrote and uh, drew uh, the Silk Spectre prequel, uh, which was all about. Lori as a teen and there was a lot of sex and a fair amount of violence and is quite dark um, as appropriate to a Watchmen universe title but it was co-written by Darwin Cook who's one of the best writers and artists of this last generation he was very sensitive incredibly intelligent and he really made that title and his own title in the before Watchmen series um, Minutemen he made them special now as I said, I have nothing against Jimmy Pagliotti and Amanda Connor as writers. I enjoyed their Wonder Woman title for uh, the Walmart books. Um, and, and I liked some of their bla- uh, Hardly's Little Black book stories. But they, they're they not Darwin Cook. They don't have that sensitivity. They're much more raucous. And that's fine. But I think that the kind of harder-edged content that Black Label seems to invite works better when you have someone who does approach it really thoughtfully. And I wish they would attach someone like that to this project. I mean, heck, Tom King worked with Amanda Connor, and while that wasn't a Black Label thing, I could see him doing a Black Label-type book with harder-edge content, but he's very thoughtful. Um, Chris, what do you think about this Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti announcement? Ian, like you, you know, I, I thought their uh, Black Book was, was, was fun. It was very... Whimsical, if you will, and uh, I, I really like that you have the insight with respect to the creator take on this. Uh, I, I just have a feeling, though, that uh, some of this might be for a broad appeal to the masses, uh, cash tie-in with the movie. This, these are great characters, and they continually sell very, very well at my local comic shop. I, I, I really would like to see it done uh, with justice. But I, I just wonder about the sustainability of where it goes from here. You know, after the movie's publicity dies down, uh, I, I, I want to see these characters continually in print. And I, I wonder if that's going to continue to happen uh, with respect to these runs. You know, I'm kind of looking ahead, actually. So I, I'm with you, Ian. I, I kind of want uh, to see what somebody else would do i think i think i know what i'm expecting with respect to the team up of connor and palmiati and it's going to be very good it's going to be like going to a good restaurant i'm going to get served a good meal but i don't know if i'm going to go to a four-star restaurant this is going to be very very good but you know i'm somewhere between um you know uh, a very nice chain but i'm not at the uh, four-star restaurant down the street Well, and I would argue that the best run that Birds of Prey has ever had is Gail Simone's. And her her run is extraordinarily high quality, but it was incredibly accessible. It was it was very much like a chain where they hired a four-star chef who didn't look down on the job, who who really just embraced the fact that he's in a chain, or she's in a chain in this case, and just made it the best chain possible and added so many touches of her own. But she never got pretentious about it. So even though I would argue it's one of the best created comics ever to be written, certainly within my lifetime, 
it never had that sense of trying to be something it wasn't. And yet it, it became better just because of the sheer amount of love and craft she poured into it. Um, and speaking of which, I kind of want to bring this up because the movie Birds of Prey is coming out. And DC is finally re-releasing some of those classic stories. We're going to be getting uh, Black Canary, the the Brendan Fletcher run, repackaged. Now, I wasn't a huge fan of that, but I think that the, the general idea of Black Canary being in a band is awesome. Um, so that's cool, getting a reprint. Um, they're also doing the 2000 miniseries uh, Batman Huntress Cry for Blood by Greg Rucka with art by Rick Burchett, who did amazing work on the um, Batman Adventures, uh, tie into the Batman Anniversary series uh, TV show. And it's getting a new cover featuring uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Huntress on that. So I'm really excited because I have all those issues in single, but I think that it would be really nice to have a trade with a higher quality paper, hopefully. Um, even though the cover doesn't really reflect what's on inside, is cool that they're trying to, to get some, some marketing going on with that. And most exciting to me, they're doing a 12-issue um, sort of archival uh, trade paperback of Gail Simone's run on Birds of Prey. So the first 12 issues of her run are going to be something uh, a collection called Mysteries and Murder. Now, unfortunately, they didn't commission a new cover for this. They're using an old Greg Land cover, and Greg Land did some amazing covers during the Chuck Dixon run of Birds of Prey. I don't like his covers for the Gail Simone era. Um, but this at least is one of the better ones where it features a lot of the characters and it really gives a sense of the, the, the wild action and the bonds between the characters. Um, so anyone who is interested in the movie um, or interested in these characters, we do have some merchandise coming out. Um, I also want to mention uh, Black Canary Ignite by Meg Cabot. Meg Cabot's perhaps best known for writing the Princess Diaries series that had a movie starring Anne Hathaway way back in, like I think, 2000. Um, she's written a bunch more stuff. I've, re- I've read about 10 of her books. Uh, none of the Princess Academy books, oddly. But um, I really like her style. Uh, we, at the Batman Universe, we had a chance to review this book. And I think Stella is working on her review now. It is a masterful synthesis of Black Canary's history, starting all the way with her mother being a vigilante and her father being a police detective in Gotham. And... She's got mentorship from Wildcat, for those of us who love that JSA connection. And she also is in a band, so it even synthesizes that new 52 era of Black Canary. Um, If you are a fan of Black Canary in the past and like her history, this book honors that while being fresh. And the art's incredibly cute um, by Carla McGee. And Meg Cabot's dialogue is really good. She does a really good job of um, capturing the characters in a nuanced way so they're not just stereotypes even though they're in high school because this is a a YA slash young readers project Um, and it also is incredibly accessible for for new readers so it doesn't require you to read a bunch of stuff but if you have read that stuff it rewards you so um, I don't know if my co-hosts have had a chance to read that uh, as preparation for reviewing it or um, but for those people who are interested in Black Canary or the Birds of Prey, that's coming out at the end of the month. I give it my highest recommendation. It's one of the best titles for Black Canary that's come out in close to a decade. Um, she's gotten a lot of exposure, but a lot of it's been as a tertiary character or in a less well-executed series. Um, let me see. 
We have a couple more news stories. First is uh, TBU buying the numbers. Steph, what do you have to say about our numbers for August? Uh, it was another cardstock month, so got a little tricky with numbers. But um, nothing too exciting. There was a lot of Marvel stuff that came out, like Power of House, how. Super of House? I don't remember. Yeah, the, oh, the, the Jonathan Hickman X-Men books dominated market, as they should. They were excellent books. Um, but this is a Batman podcast, of course. <laughs> right. So the only thing that kind of made it on the top ten was, was Batman made it on the number ten after adjusted for his cardstock and regular combo. Um, Batman Superman did really good at number three um, with 150K. Um, I know people were kind of hoping that the cardstock backs would reboost uh, Batman sales, and as I predicted, that really didn't help. <laughs> it's it's about back down where it was before. Um, what else? Moderately interesting. Red Hood is not doing good, which is a shame. I'm enjoying Red Hood. I know some people think of it as like the poor man's Professor X, but <laughs> I'm enjoying it. Um, uh. Curse of the White Knight still doing very good. About 74K. Um, and that was number 12. Oh, yeah. So that doesn't matter. <laughs> Deceased is at number 4 at about 120K. It's doing very good. Yeah, nothing, nothing too exciting or out of the ordinary. Uh, Teen Titans is starting to get a little low. So you all need to go out and get your Teen Titans. Um, Nightwing continues to drop. <laughs> Shocking. Um... Batman Universe is sitting about 24.5K, um, which I was kind of wondering how that would do because they kind of were like, ooh, Bendis on Batman, so exciting, but no. Yeah, the problem with Batman Universe is that it's a reprint, and I That's feel like true. a lot of people don't find reprints very collectible or exciting. They're just like, well, at this point, I'll just get it in the trade, which I, I understand. I've been collecting them in the um, the Walmart editions. Um, I I do think that they should have marketed this because Bendis actually did make this in continuity and he has been referencing it in what he's doing on Young Justice mm-hmm. and in Superman. So I think DC's kind of fallen down on making this as exciting for readers as it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who aren't aware, Ginny Hex, a character who's been very uh, prominent in Young Justice, was created for this Walmart Batman universe story. Um, and it's a fun story. I, I would really recommend it for the art by Nick Darrington. It's just jaw-droppingly beautiful art. Um, it reminds me of Darwin Cook, as I was mentioning. It also reminds me of Chris Samney. It's just very clean and appealing. The colors by... Um, shoot. I can't remember who did the colors, but the, it's really excellent coloring as well as uh, pencil work by um, Nick Darrington. Uh, Batman and the Outsiders number four is kind of dropping at a fairly alarming rate. I think people are getting maybe a little bored with that. Because even though like the character beats are still pretty good, the story is kind of just not moving <laughs> that much. But Oh, the colorist was Dave Stewart, who did Batwoman for Greg Rucka and James Williams. So no wonder the colors are amazing. He is a, <laughs> he is a master. Oh, Batman Beyond is still going at 14K. Why? Why? But there you go. Um, yeah, nothing. Oh, the uh, so they, they did have some numbers for trades. Um, the diamond 
diamond numbers aren't at all like the full number for the trades because obviously Amazon sells them and all the bookstores sell them and I don't think they record those numbers. But um, the Justice League trade had 359 sales across the country. (laughs) And then the Harley Quinn Breaking Glass, which I guess that one was a lot more marketed and a lot more anticipated, but that one was like 5,500. Or 4,500, sorry. Well, that's not too bad for a a trade aimed at... I mean, the thing is, these books are not aimed at the direct market. They're aimed at the bookstore market. So I would love to see, you know, where they're doing in Amazon and on Barnes & Noble and a local Mm -hmm. bookstore, like Half Price Books or whatever. Um, I think think it would be really nice to know that. I do know that sometimes they really, like, pop up. Like, they become number one in their categories. So that's good news. Batgirl's... Batgirl's getting back up there a little bit. Um, on average, she's actually up in numbers. There was a card stock this month, but she seems to be doing a little better on average. Um, Catwoman had another card stock month, but this time sales did not go up at all by much. It was like 200, 300 extra sales. <laughs> oh, kitty cat. I'm really honestly surprised that they haven't canceled Catwoman starting in yeah. December so that Batman Catwoman is the big place to go. But um, maybe they have a contract with Jones that she's going to do a full 12 issues before she leaves, and I don't think she's done that yet. Yeah. I feel like she's done one in a while. But anyway, nothing nothing super exciting. Sorry. <laughs> Nope. Um, but I, think that was I am a good working look. on something for the spotlight. It's a little, little, little slow behind, but I'm looking to see if uh, movie releases have any effect on general sales. I might branch out a little bit and show what they do extra, kind of like you know, re-releasing trades or whatever. But um, curious to see if sales are at all impacted by by movies. The prediction so far is no, <laughs> but we'll see. And the last piece of news that I'm going to talk about is DC at New York Comic Con released images, but not directly. We've just gotten fan photos of a timeline that apparently puts the entire history of the DC Universe in four uh, groups that they're calling generations. Now, what generation means and how one generation moves into the next generation are completely unclear. Um, I personally would like a lot more information and for them to just release the timeline. Perhaps they're still trying to hammer it out. Um I don't want to talk too much about this because this is actually our monkey watch. So stay tuned for the end where we talk about the timelines. But that is an exciting thing coming out of New York Comic Con that DC is planning something big and trying to organize their universe in this way to get ready for it. With that, we're going to move on to our reviews, starting with Batman number 79. Batman number 79, written by Tom King. Art by Clay Mann, colored by Tomu Mari. The issue opens with a recreation of a panel from Batman Year One, where Bruce Wayne, disguised as an army veteran on his first night of crime fighting, faces off on the streets of Gotham with a a pre-Catwoman, leather-clad Selina Kyle. The next page cuts to the present, or, as the editor note states, prior to the events of Batman number 77, where Alfred appeared to be killed by Bane. They talk about intercepting a shipment of stolen venom from Magpie, which will help them take back Gotham. The story then 
uh, cuts to Selena doing yoga while balancing on Bruce's back while he does one-arm push-ups. Selena comments that they joke about meeting on the street or on the boat, a reference to Batman Year One Number One and Batman Number One from 1940. Uh, and while she remembers the boat, they really did meet on the streets. That happened first. Bruce and Selina then have a drink while a news report details Captain Adams' arrest following the events of Batman number 76. Uh, the news reports that Gotham is seeing a new era of peace at the price of a more sadistic Batman. A passerby makes a comment approving of the situation, and after antagonizing Selina at length, she lays him out with a punch. Selina and Bruce then return to their room where they share a tender moment before planning to start kicking some ass the next day. The story cuts to a convenience store where a man in a ski mask and a gun demand cash from a surprise store clerk who points that Batman and Catwoman are right behind him in Hawaii. The story cuts to a splash page of the masked heroes stopping various crimes around the islands while the captions talk about the uh, the argument about meeting on the street or on a boat. Batman and Catwoman watch a sunset while Batman tells Catwoman that Alfred has signaled he is safe and he is sending Damien into Gotham, as seen in Batman number 77. The two then take a moment to watch the sun go down as they tell each other, I love you. Boarding Magpie's yacht, they take down her thugs, seize her supply of venom, and steal her jewelry. Magpie is told she is free to go, but um, they give her the message that they are coming um, for Bane. Bruce and Selina then walk on the beach, and after telling Selina that she can't keep Magpie's stolen diamond, Bruce takes a moment to thank Selina for rescuing him on the mountaintop and nursing him back to health. He says that he doesn't consider meeting on the street their first meeting because it was before he knew who he really was, before he had solidified his understanding of Batman. Bruce then says that maybe he is more than just the vow, and the issue ends with the two of them agreeing that they met on the beach. So, um, let's start with a simple question. What is your... Your general reaction to this issue, Batman number 79, the second of the two-part arc, which catches us up to Batman and Catwoman's relationship. Well, the lingering feeling I had was a little bit disappointment because of the explanation of the street and the boat, where, I mean, I guess it's kind of sweet, yeah, it's... He wasn't Batman yet when they met, and she wasn't Catwoman yet when they met, so technically they didn't meet, and I was just hoping for something way more universe-bendy and sci-fi than that, and so that was a little bit of a letdown. Yes, it explained it, and it was sweet, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) To to some extent, I I think that the fact that both Batman number one and Batman year one exist in the same timeline is universe bending. It's not like Doomsday Clock where you have a metaverse where you manipulate it, but it does say everything happened in some way. 
And I think that's really exciting. But I, I do understand it's not like a big science fictional time travel meldy thing. Yeah. I was kind of hoping that they were from two different timelines and that there was so a lot of to fallout from that. But and so that was just my lingering. Like, I enjoyed the whole issue and I do see where you come from. It is cool that, that they are able to marry all that together. But at the same time, I was it was not I hate that my expectation of it is kind of determining my opinion of it. But um that was that was my first first lingering thought when i finished that's totally legitimate uh chris what was your thought it's so weird that i think all three of us are on the same page the first literal note i had in my question was the question of where they first met is answered is this a satisfying answer for you and we this is everything we all drew to on it like a lightning rod and i'm so pleased that we're all all in agreement that uh (laughs) <laughs> we we wanted to get to the answer of this. For me, this worked. It was a self set. You know, it, it acknowledges both, and I really I really enjoy that. I, I know some people are going to be disappointed, Stephanie. I hope you didn't lose a wager on this, but for me, this was very very pleasing, and and I really enjoyed it. That um, the, I, I bought it. I, I I totally bought it. You know, with 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 Catwoman's perception and Batman's perception on this, I I, I dug it. Yeah, the 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 question and the answer really worked for me uh i'm sorry if 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 anybody else is offended but i i I totally thought yes i I, it was i I kind of did a fist bump and i thought that that was uh, a really self-satisfying moment that i enjoyed it so offended i'm never talking to you ever again okay so second question let's talk a bit about the art we don't talk a lot about art but i think clay man and tomu more just knocked it out of the park. There was just beautiful scenery. Bruce and Selena looked incredibly gorgeous, both of them. There was there was fan service for everyone to be had. Um, it was clear that this was an issue of love for for the art. Um, did you have anything, any moments that really stuck out to you? Well, the sunset panels were kind of leaked a few weeks ago, and I... I didn't pay attention to what issue they'd be in. So every issue I was like, is this the one with the sunset? Is this the one with the sunset? And it's just, it's beautiful. The the purples change as they're standing there because the sun is slowly, slowly going down. Um, And it's just sweet seeing them just standing there together and hugging. And then at the end, their silhouettes are there. And it's just, that's really pretty. Chris, what, uh, what were your artistic highlights for this issue? Again, I have to go with the outdoor scenes. That was the second note. Clayman's art is gorgeous. And I'm glad we are acknowledging <laughs> Temu Mori with the colors. It's brilliant. My question, though, is this. Uh, is this better? Because uh, I'm looking at this in print. And is it just as good for the readers who are looking at this in the digital format? I, I hope it is because it, it is just incredible. I, I'm glad I have a tangible copy of this. And I, I really, really dug that. Um, I heard that you know Catwoman was a little dressed uh, a little too provocatively in in issue 78 and I I think she was a little more clothed here per per se you know but um, I I didn't know Magpie was that busty pardon my language Uh, holy cow you know I just thought you know we we had some lingering shots there and I thought oh hello (laughs) so that was good and the only other thing I had to well you gotta steal her necklace man (laughs) (laughs) yes and you know we were talking you know the uh, about uh, some of the other scenes i think we did get some uh, 
interesting uh, bits with the fight sequences, though. But I'm wondering, how in the world is, like, uh, if I'm looking at the character correctly, it looks like it's a knockout from Superboy. And I'm wondering, where, where in the world are all these characters coming from that they're um, pummeling uh, during these uh, interludes, if you will? And uh, I, I don't have any theory. Villains, I, I, have to go, villains have to go on vacation, too. Maybe they're just in Hawaii. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, yeah, the, Superboy did hang out in Hawaii, you, so there you go. So, <laughs> what do you think of the um, Batman sixty six pow kapow kaplum? Or is that just general comic book fare? I've never really noticed before. You know, I didn't really take it to be uh, a nod to Batman sixty six, but I got it looking at the page now. It, it really is, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> Especially that first punch of Selena's, it just it's a whole panel of just pow. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. it's also an homage to the fact that you know we're going back to another boat. Like this is a boat adventure, um, like Batman number one. So I think that also brings to mind Batman sixty six, the movie, where there's a lot of uh, sea action with bat shark mm-hmm. repellent and so forth. <laughs> so my last question for this issue is. There was a lot of discussion um, about the fact that this happens before the supposed death of Alfred. Um, I was excited about this because I've been saying that I don't think Tom King set up the death of Alfred. So the reveal in this issue that Alfred's probably not dead and that this is all some kind of plan, I think fits better with this, the shape of the story to this point. Um what did you feel about the fact that this turns out to have been before a previous issue? Um, and do you have any predictions about how that will be resolved going forward? Who was it that shot Alfred? Was that was that Batman? Uh, it was Bane. Bane snapped Bane. his neck. Bane snapped his neck, that's right. I don't know. I just don't... I know Batman always has everything planned out, but... Like if Alfred says I'm safe and they're sending Damien in, then is could it have been like a clayface Alfred that was taking the place of Alfred. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Clayface is on Batman's team now, and if Alfred's si- signaling he's safe, but he's always under surveillance, maybe maybe it is a body double or something. Intriguing questions. Chris, what do you think? I'm just going to enjoy the ride. I have no speculation. I think it was a nice job. At least the editor finally did something, and they, they threw the acknowledgement in there before the uh, speculation went out. You know, So I, I'm glad they, they, they covered uh, themselves, so to speak. Uh, I... They're they're really playing it close to the vest, and I got to applaud them for that. Uh, I, I'm just enjoying the ride. I, I, I can't... Whenever I speculate, I'm wrong, so I just don't want to get on the diving <laughs> board. So That's very true. I'm I'm very bad at speculation as well. So um, let's move on to our ratings. Um, I think I'm going to give this a 4.5 out of 5. It was a truly excellent issue, gorgeous art, really fun writing, and interesting pieces of the plot that we hadn't seen before. Yeah, I think this answered questions, and even though they weren't the answers I wanted, it still answered some questions. It's moving the Bruce and Selena story along a little. So, so gorgeous, like you said. Just really cute character beats. Four and a half also. 
Wow, we're we're all. I, I got four and a half as well. That's I can't believe I'm, I'm <laughs> looking at my written score and and there I had it. Yeah, I had four and a half as the last issue as well. I, I wanted to tie it in. I think this falls just short of a masterpiece, but it is very 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 good. And this is one of the best uh, Batman works. And the, the Clayman's art is just really something that elevated it for me too. On the website, Paul gave it a five out of five, <gasps> and so this gives Tom King's Batman number 79 a total score of 4 out of 5 for the Batman universe. Moving on, let's do Detective Comics number 1012. Um, We begin with a pondering Batman musing over the creation of snowflakes, how delicate and fragile they can be. We then cut to the Gotham Dockyard, where Batman looms over a once great yacht. He muses how it was once the first place he tangled with Selina, but now, under a gentle snowfall and after a passage of time, it is nothing but a memory. Next, in the Gotham Pine Barrens, we find Mr. Freeze with romance also on his mind. He speaks of Nora, his true love, and of, of her resurrection. He takes off his helmet and demonstrates that the new nanotechnology bonded with his skin, allowing him to live without its aid. Freeze hopes that this technology will work for his love, interrupting his thoughts. A message comes from Team One, indicating that they have tranquilized a woman in her car. Freeze cautions them to transport with extreme care. Team Two also chimes in, saying they have their own target apprehended. Another woman with blonde hair that bears a striking resemblance to Nora. Team Three attempts their capture, but engages with the woman who ends up splitting her head open. Unsuccessful, they leave her on the floor at her home. These women are brought to Mr. Freeze in the Gotham Pine Barrens, where he reveals that Lex Luthor has given him a serum that ostensibly can bring Nora back to Freeze, allowing her to stand by his side once more. But ever the skeptic, Freeze couldn't risk using the serum on Nora without proof. Thus, he arranged his own project, replicating the condition of Nora's current state to determine if the serum would be successful. Cutting over to the hangar of the Batwing, we see Alfred repairing the machine while Bruce deadlifts a large amount of weight. They both listen to a variety of calls coming into the Gotham Central Emergency Line. The majority trivial matters. However, a case where a lady had two men break into her home in an attempted abduction draws Bruce's attention. He calls Alfred over to listen and decides to head out. Down at GCPD headquarters, Officer Conway and Captain Bullock discuss that two more women have gone missing for a total of four this week. Bullock heads to the roof to light the bat signal, only to find that Batman is already there, eager to learn about the missing women. They exchange information, revealing that Gordon has been taking time off with the events found in the Batman Who Laughs miniseries. That's how they say it, too. Back at the Gotham Pines Barrens, we see Mr. Freeze with his team and the woman they captured, all frozen cryogenically like Nora. Freeze announces that the experiment is progressing well and soon will be time to administer the serum. He asks Team 3 where their subject is. After a failed attempt to lie about the situation that occurred, they tell Freeze the truth. Freeze is furious that one of his men assumed to know what Freeze would have liked instead of following orders encasing his head in spikes of ice. Freeze demands that the team return to retrieve the subject, but when they return to the scene of the crime, Batman is ready for them. So we're finally um, paying off the covers with Mr. Freeze on them. Um, This issue 
has the return of Doug Mankey to main art. And we're tackling Mr. Freeze in one of his first major storylines where he's the actual villain, um, as opposed to his sort of red herring in Batman number 51 to 53, Cold Days. Um, what do you think about Freeze's appearance here? Is he a real threat to Batman? Does he seem like a worthy foe? What's your reaction to this beginning of the Freeze arc? I don't see because Freeze is one of those guys that he literally has nothing to do with Batman. Like he couldn't care less about Batman. He's got a singular goal in mind: rescuing his wife. You could argue that women who look like your wife doesn't mean they have the same blood type or the same conditions or the same <laughs> uh, internal workings that matter more than whether or not she has blonde hair. But whatever. Um, so I, I don't think he thinks of himself as a threat to Batman. Like, he obviously will try to avoid him because he doesn't want to get caught because, you know, he doesn't want to stop trying to save his wife. But I don't ever really see Freeze as a threat to Batman. And I don't think he's trying to be, in my opinion, limited as it is. Good insights. Chris, what do you think about Freeze here? I just had flashbacks to the 90s animated series with the look and the, the appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you had the snowfall, you get you see the opening pages where he, he takes his helmet off and he takes his tongue out. There is a little bit of uh, personability to the character, uh, yet still at the same time, very calculating, you know, with respect to the handiwork. I think Doug Monkey is quietly underrated, and uh, I really got to applaud Jamie Mendoza because he really did a nice job with his inks over the pencils on this one. I, I really thought, wow, I feel like I'm really looking at some cells from the animated series here, and that just really brought me a nice nostalgic feel. But boy, what a creepy Criminals Minds TV show vibe here, you know? I mean, we got all these women being attacked with a certain look, you know, and mm-hmm. I just thought that this is, you know, something of a long the lines of a, a a bad episode of Criminal Minds, if you will, and of all the things to get a, a double page spread, we we get this one scene where we we've we've got a couple of women sprawled out on an operating table, and I thought, oh, really? Did we have to go there? Did it have to be that graphic? <laughs> you know, maybe I'm being a little too sensitive, but I I really enjoyed the artwork on this one. Yeah, it, while Freeze is in his element, so is Batman. He's multitasking. He's pumping iron while he's listening to the GSP police band, and I'm just really thinking, yeah, this is this is finally something I, I've really really craved here. You know, uh, just tuned in that, and he even did the old disappearing trick with the bat signal with Bullock and I thought yeah these are all the elements that I had longed for and I got sort of wax nostalgic about and I really had a lot of fun with this one excellent Um, so do you think that um, this plot will bring a new light to Freeze or will it be sort of a classic tale just sort of bringing him back to the fore but not really changing anything about his status quo um the last time we had a major free story that people remember was the Batman annual way back at the beginning of the new 52 when people got really mad because Scott Snyder and James Tynan radically changed Freeze's motives that he never actually had a wife. This seems to be more classic. So my question is, do you think this is going to change anything or is it just going to sort of bring him back to the fore? Change anything from the last status quo or erase the last status quo or... Well, I think it's clear that he's already kind yeah. of erased the last status quo. But do you think they're going to set him on a new trajectory? Or that Tomasi's going to set him on a new trajectory going forward from the story? Well, I'm not super familiar with his history other than the animated series and what I hear heard on the Batcast, but it doesn't really seem like it that much. Um, 
course, all the year, the villains so far, most of those stories have been drastically changing the characters, so it would definitely be a possibility. But seeing as how this is one of the ongoing ones, it doesn't seem like they want to change it that much. I don't know. He, he, his modus operandi seems to be changing a little bit, but his end goal is always the same. But if Dustin's right and it does work, quote-unquote, and then Nora becomes an angry zombie lady, then it would totally change things, I guess. Because <laughs> he might have to end up teaming up with Batman to take out Nora. Which he might not do. That would be quite an interesting twist. What do you think, Chris? Do you think this is going to be a change, or do you think it's going to be classic? Yeah, I think it's going to... I'm going to follow the long lines of Dustin and Steph's thought here and follow, keep following through. It's going to depend on Nora, because, you know, uh, I think uh, Victor is going to basically see how Nora is, and if if this revival takes, you know, I, I think uh, he, he's just going to basically react on that. Uh, I hope we get some type of progression with this, because, I mean, we've always been teased, you know, that... Uh, Victor always wants to revive Nora, always wants to revive Nora. He never comes, you know, always falls short. In fact, you know, if, if I wanted, you know, to have something happen to it, we, we had to go back to an old uh, Batman RPG I was in just to kind of progress that plot thread just to see what would happen. But here we are, we're having it. I think he's going to do everything in his power to keep her around. And I think if if this does not work, he, he's going to just, I think he's going to be really, I'm almost trying to think almost ahead and skip the middle where I think if if something bad happens to Nora, Victor's going to be totally broken. He's just mm-hmm. going to be totally broken and just a shell of himself. So I hope that's not where ultimately it lands, but um, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I'm just kind of afraid to step in the water. On that vein, it's sort of similar question, if you don't mind. Um, do you think Freeze's motivation at any point has been to be with Nora or to revive Nora. Because if he revives her, if that's his goal, then I think he would be willing to pay for everything he's done in order to succeed at reviving her. But if his goal is to be with her, one, I don't even know if he would know how to do that anymore. I think she would be too horrified by everything he's done, and he's a totally different person now. But also, I don't think he would be sorry for anything that he's done. He wouldn't take responsibility for it. That's a really good point. Um, one of the things about Freeze is, as you said, um, Steph, he doesn't have a direct conflict with Batman. But what he does have as a direct parallel, um, he's basically Batman's emotional state sort of literalized. Mm-hmm. Batman has been frozen as a child since his parents were killed in front of him. And Freeze is literally emotionally and physically frozen because of what happened to his wife. Um, I think that is a really interesting parallel. I wish there would be some writer who could really um, push that forward thematically, like give Freeze a new status quo, whether it be Nora is a villain or or something. I think it's a, a rich territory you could mine. The problem with the, the last one is I don't think that making Freeze delusional actually says anything interesting about Batman. Like, the thing about Batman's villains is I think they should always say something interesting about Batman. The Joker talks to Batman about his isolation. Um, Penguin is the rich son of privilege who has gone wrong um, and also has an animal thing. Um, The Two-Face is a a dual identity, you know, Bruce and Batman. 
all these all these characters, all these villains, speak specifically to something about Batman. Freeze speaks to Batman's frozen emotional state. But there's only so much you can do with him because, as Steph said, he doesn't directly want to fight Batman because he wants to fight Batman. Batman only matters if he's getting in the way of resurrecting Nora. So I think as much as it could be frustrating and and as much as Victor could be a broken man if Nora were to turn out to be a villain and reject him, I think it could really be a rich thematic conflict that we could get some something new in a way that doesn't break the character the way the, the annual did before. Um, with that being said, let's uh, let's move on to our ratings. I would say this is a solid story, good art by Doug Mankey, so I'll give it a, a three out of five. Yeah, maybe a th- three and a three and a half out of five for me. I'm torn with the artwork. I I, I wrote down a three, but I think I'm going to lean towards Steph, and I'm going to say three and a half, and I, I'm going to do that just based on the uh, just the pencils and the depictions of fr- Freeze here. All right, and on the website, Tony gave this a four out of five, which gives the overall Batman universe rating a three and a half out of five Batarangs. Now, because we are behind a week, uh, you're going to get an oversized review section. We're going to review Batman number 80. Batman number 80, written by Tom King. Art by John Romita Jr., inks by Klaus Janssen, and colors by Tomu More. A lone figure in a hat and trench coat walk through the alley on a rainy Gotham night. He is approached by two police officers, Professor Pig and Two-Face. The two villains attack the figure for breaking curfew, since they are now duly appointed representatives of the law, and the figure knocks them both to the ground. Two-Face tells the man that he is dead, asking if he knows whose city this is, and shooting him point-blank range in the chest, to no effect. The figure declares that the city is his, and as Two-Face realizes who it is he's been dealing with, Batman knocks him out before ripping up his shirt to reveal the two stopped bullets square in the middle of the bat symbol. Thomas Wayne Batman meets with Hugo Strange, the new commissioner, on the roof of police headquarters to speak about Professor Pig and Two-Face not checking in yet. Thomas tells Strange that Batman has returned and that he'll tell Bane, with Hugo left standing alone on a rooftop, saying that there's no way Batman could return from being as broken as Bane left him. Another quote-unquote police officer, the Mad Hatter, stands on a street corner, twirling a billy club when he notices a stray black cat crossing his path. Hatter takes aim at the cat with a very long handgun, shades of Batman 89, only to have a bullwhip wrap around his neck as he is dragged off-panel by Catwoman. Kite Man, in a full-page spread, falls from the sky as Batman stands in silhouette above him, saying, Hell yeah. Meanwhile, (laughs) Gotham Girl appears sick and injured after Damien's magical attack on her in Batman number 77, with Thomas telling her she needs to rest and not be out. Thomas tells Gotham Girl to stop using her powers. She needs another dose. Claire says, is she going to die like her brother, Hank? Thomas holds Gotham Girl, telling her that someone else is going to die for what they've done to her. 
Batman faces off against Hush in a classic Western standoff in an alley. He dodges Hush's bullets and hurls his batarangs, taking Hush's gun arm down, then punching him in the face. At Wayne Manor, Thomas cares for the sick Gotham girl before being interrupted by the ventriloquist, Batman's butler now, who passes on a message from Bane that Robin is to be killed and displayed publicly. As Batman removes the medallion from Hush's neck, uh, the, the police badge from Hush's neck, Thomas kisses Gotham Girl on the forehead and puts his mask in place. He descends into the Batcave, where Robin, Damian Wayne, is being held captive, pulls out a handgun, and the issue ends with Batman telling Catwoman that Thomas Wayne has a decision to make. So, where we've left Hawaii and we're back in Gotham, uh, we have a new artist, John Romita Jr. I best know John Romita Jr. from his work with J. Michael Straczynski on Spider-Man in the early 2000s. He moved over to DC in the uh, late part of the DC, uh, the New 52, um, with work on Spy- uh, Superman. He hasn't done a lot of Batman work, although he did a major arc for All-Star Batman with Scott Snyder early in the Rebirth series. What do you think of the way John Romita Jr. draws Batman in this uh, roaring rampage of revenge that Batman does through Gotham streets? Um, well, I remember some people were complaining that, you know, the characters look totally different. Like, Bruce starts his uh, Matches Malone look at the beginning here, and he just looks much less built than he did a few hours ago in Hawaii. Um, and that in itself doesn't bother me that much, but it just seemed like the characters did start looking different, even from panel to panel. Like, even um, Two-Face, who looked more like Bruce's build than the last time we saw him, now suddenly looks super skinny, but by the time he's he's done with Two-Face, he's a little more fleshed out. So I wasn't a big fan on how the characters sort of changed throughout the issue itself. I understand when you do a different artist, they're not going to look the same as the previous issue, but even within your own issue, I feel like there should be some consistency. Um, but other than that, I, I, I liked it. It was Really kind of scratchy, but I think that's from all the rain in every single panel, pretty much, except for a few of the indoor scenes. But I, I thought it was, I thought it was all right. It wasn't my favorite, but it was all right. What did you think of the art, Chris? I wish I could do a screenshot of my computer right now because that is literally the question I had for the group right now. Is John Romita's Jr.'s art good? And do you love it or do you hate it? I know he's a very polarizing uh, artist, and I, I think uh, there's no people who are sort of down the middle with it. I think you either like it or you don't. I, I have to admit, I, I do have a little bit of bias. I met him at a con in L.A. in the mid-1980s. He couldn't have been a more nicer guy. Granted, his style has developed quite a bit since that time. I did like it. Uh, and, and I'm glad you did mention that uh, series that he did with uh, All-Star Batmanian because I thought that was a, a superior thing that he did with respect to that. I, 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 I enjoyed it quite a bit. I know it's not necessarily for everyone, but I did like the panel layout. Ian, when the way you describe, describe the 
confrontation with Hush, it was really a truly uh, a Western standoff with with just how you had these narrow panels that were very confining, and you just really got the tension. And I thought it was really well conveyed. When the scene where he uh, gets kite man and he, we throw it over and he, he says hell yeah with all that rain coming down, I thought there were some marvelous, marvelous pieces of artwork here. I'll, I, I will acknowledge those for those who aren't a fan of his work. I I kind of nod and I could kind of see why this might be your cup, not be your cup of tea, but for me it, it did work. Ian, what say you? Well, as I said, I'm a huge fan of John Romita Jr., but I do acknowledge he's very uneven. And I think Steph's observation that the characters do sort of morph from, from even panel to panel is, is fair. But to me, John Romita Jr.'s power has always been in his storytelling and just the the energy that each character has. It's not the consistency, because he's not consistent, but that's on purpose. What he's striving for is making you feel a certain way by the exaggerations in that um, that page. Obviously, the, the, the Western really stood out to me, the, the showdown, where you have Hush on one side, Batman on the other, it's the raining, they just wait, and suddenly they fire at each other, and there's this brutal bit of action. Um, I think Ramita really did a great job. I think that this sort of spare, really action-focused approach that King took on this issue really works with his style. And I'm very curious to see what he does with the next issue, because I think we have him for two issues. Um, I am am very curious um, to know what you guys think about the fact that Batman has been really beaten down in the last um, 24, 25 issues plus the uh, the three issues um, before he started building his way back up with Catwoman in the, the interlude. Do you think that Batman just beating these villains so easily um, is a moment of finally he's back, or does it feel too easy to you? Hmm. I was kind of thinking it was more sneaky. Like, he is taking them on in bite-sized pieces because that is easier. Um, But it does seem like, you know, the Bane-Thomas Wayne duo do kind of know that he's coming and that the bad guy cops aren't their end game per se. That that the, the, the big card that they have was Alfred and now Damien. But now the question is, is is Thomas what what is Thomas's motivation and who is it that he's tricked? Is he tricked Batman or is he tricked Bane? Chris, what do you think about Batman's return? Do you think it's a return to form or do you think that it's um, rushed? I heard some people thinking that because uh, Tom King was originally going to do um, this all the way to a hundred, this was going to happen later and things would have happened before it. No, I don't. Think um, this so is does this feel like compression? <laughs> <laughs> See, I agree. I, I, I think this is this is solid yeah. pacing. But some people have thought that it, it feels too quick. Chris, what is your take on that? We were copying off of each other's paper because the last question I wrote that I did want to pose to the group was, quote, did Batman win too easily? So if if we're all asking this, I I have to think we acknowledge that, um, yes, it it, it did happen too easily. Uh, As a reader, do I have to give this a pass or not? Uh, I'll I'll give it a soft pass. You know, the the, the way, I mean, we've had Batman with multiple, you know, 
taking you know it would take multiple issues sometimes with that uh, Two Face arc and All Star Batman alone just to t- take out Two Face. I mean, and then with Professor Pig, all these villains, what have you, you know, save for <laughs> Kite Man, I guess could be easily take it out one, one, you know, one, two, three. You know, yeah, he did one too easy, you know, and he did go through this gauntlet pretty fast, but in hush, you, you know, twelve issues here it was only a couple panels, but I, I'm going to give it a pass. You know, I think we're building up to a crescendo. We've we've got so many issues to go, and I think. We're going to have to draw out this final conflict for every bit that it's worth. So did he win too easily? Oh, absolutely. But I am going to give it a soft pass. But, I mean, I don't think it's without precedent in this run, though, because he did go through Arkham twice. No, no, he goes through Arkham once, and he goes through through Santa Prisco once. And those those fights go pretty quickly. And if we are living with the assumption, or reading with the assumption, that um, these are all uh, not hatted, uh uh, space pirate? No. Psycho pirated. What's his name? pirated, not space pirate. They're psycho pirated. They may not be their full selves and fighting like they're full at their full capacity. That that I that I find it a little more excusable than than just Batman is the best mm. or whatever. I agree. I think that psycho pirates effect and the fact that they're working for Bane. Um, Plus the fact that both Bane and Batman basically spent a whole issue just trashing the entire population of Gotham's <laughs> villains. Um, I, I don't find it too bad. I think that in terms of the history of the characters, this has been actually, I mean, I think everyone knows I'm a big fan of Tom King. I'm not coming at this from a place of I want to trash Tom King. But I do think that he has a tendency to sometimes treat uh, some side characters who have their own fandoms and their own stories and sometimes even their own solo uh, runs um, sort of he, he treats them more as plot devices so my big thing of course is he has in the war of jokes and riddles Deathstroke, Deathstroke and Deadshot fighting whereas if they ever actually tangled Deathstroke would never just uh, stick to guns where Deadshot has an equality with him he would get in close and just kill uh, Deadshot and so that felt like Tom King didn't quite think through uh, the side characters um so I think that is a, a, a consistent issue that Tom King's going to have, that he's going to focus really deeply on a narrow slice of characters, and the wider slice of characters tends to be a bit less well-developed. Um, that being said, I think Steph brings up an excellent point that, that was in my mind as well when reading. All these villains, um, they're not themselves. Uh, they they are sort of, there's a niggling fear that Bane is using to control them, so they're never going to have their full focus. Um and I think that that gives a bit more plausibility to Batman. Well, I think the real test of whether Batman has returned and whether this makes uh, really sense as the the journey back up to being Batman from the fall that was the wedding down to nightmares is going to be how does Batman deal with Bane and Thomas Wayne? And, of course, that's to come, so we don't know. But um, I, I agree with, with Chris. This is something that... Um, is too easy. Um, I'm not sure I buy the idea that it's uh, compression. I think this is just the way Tom King would have done it, even if he were writing this as part of a full 100 issues instead of 85 plus 12. Um, so uh, this was this was a much sparer issue. It didn't have as much uh, thematic content going on. It's really kind of setting up the next confrontation. So let's get to our ratings. Um, I'm going to give this... Uh, a three and a half out of five. I thought it was a very solid issue. 
Um, a little bit low. I'll give it a three. I thought the art was fine, but again, not not really my my favorite. And and yeah, it is kind of just a middle of the road, middle of the story arc story. I have three and a half. I, I'm very glad that Catwoman had some stuff to do. Mm-hmm. I was worried that uh, she wouldn't be included as much in this issue when we arrived at Gotham. I really like the villains that we did see here. I thought the face-offs were very dramatically rendered. I enjoyed it. And aside of nothing, though, I thought the Snickers ad in it wasn't as good as the previous two issues where Batman took on the uh, Golden Age Catwoman. This had, this had a poor two-page Riddler one, and I, I'm not ducking any points with respect to the story, but I was really disappointed in the Snickers ad this month. That, that, was, that, that was, you know, the first uh, Catwoman one, it was, it was silly, but it was fun. This one was just silly. So uh, with that, thank you for letting me uh, elaborate a little bit, and I'm giving this a three and a half. Over on the website, Paul gave this a three and a half out of five as well, which gives our total Batman Universe rating for Batman number 80 a three and a half out of five Batarangs. Um, let us move on to our other Batman titles. Um, on September 18th, we had Justice League, Nightwing, and Teen Titans. On September 25th, we had Batgirl, Batman Beyond, Batman Curse of the White Knight, Batman Superman, Harleen, um, and Red Hood Outlaw. On October 2nd, we had Batman Teenage Mutant Turtles, uh, three, number six, the finale. We had Deceased, number five, the penultimate issue of that miniseries. Harley Quinn, Justice League, Young Justice, and a facsimile edition of Batman number 251. So, um, do you guys have any highlights uh, that you want to highlight out of all these Bat and Greater Bat books for the last three weeks? I might sound like a broken record, but I really like Deceased. I think Deceased is what the Halloween special last year should have been. Because that ended, every story in that ended with a happy ending and everything was okay. And it was like, what was the point of that? And then this was just death and destruction and heartache the whole time. It was wonderful. <laughs> oh, it's nice having a story that doesn't have a happy ending. I'm I'm more into German cinema, so <laughs> I like a bit of depression every once in a while. <laughs> Chris, what issues do you want to highlight from these last three weeks? Uh, that was at the top of my list, was Deceased <laughs> n- number five. I, 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 I love it, and I, I hope we get a nice payoff here, because usually the penultimate issue, I have these ongoing debates with other podcasters that sometimes in a series the penultimate issue is the better one than the finale, so I'm, I'm really hoping this does pay off. Uh, the only other one I had, um, I, I don't know how far back we're going, uh, but I did really want to give a just nod to the uh, uh, facsimile editions that DC has been putting out. I, I've I've enjoyed them. I, 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 it pains me to say though that I, while I approve of the content that is being chosen and selected for these facsimile editions, I, I, the reproduction I think in some places has just been very very poor. Uh, it, it looks like I'm almost looking at got a, a copy of a newsprint, and I, especially with the one with. Batman 251 with the Neil Adams. 
I think a lot of his pencils really get uh, blotted out with respect to some uh, heavy heavy inks and heavy uh, overprinting, if you will. It just does not translate as well it, or is reproduced as fine as the original. And I am so disappointed with that because... Y- this is a masterpiece of artwork with 251, and when I see some of these panels just not being transferred as as clear as, as the original pages, it's so unfortunate, uh, and I think it it loses something with respect to some of the audience there. I hope they don't look at this and think, oh, you know, who, who, who's this guy? This 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 art, this story doesn't work. But these these are treasures, each and every one of them that have come out, and I, I, I really hope fans don't fall asleep on these facsimile editions that DC's been putting out. Poor reproduction and all. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good note. I, I've glanced through these. Um, I tend to prefer uh, my archival copies to be in digital, actually, just because um, the the inks and the, the colors particularly tend to fade a lot on these. I have a, a treasured copy of Detective Comics Annual Number 1 that I got off eBay, and I got signed by Klaus Janssen, who did the art, and Denny O'Neill did the writing. Um, and I love that issue, but I don't like reading it in its original edition. Um, I actually purchased the digital copy of The Dark Knight Detective uh, Volume 2, which contains that um, annual in its run. Um, and I like it because you just see the crispness of the line, and they did a really good job of reproducing the colors, so you don't ever have any blacks that fade into gray or the blues that sort of uh, bleed into the surrounding area. Um that that's something where I really do love uh, digital for its archival purposes. Um, as long as you have a good reading device, I bought a Kindle Fire to do so. Um, so I I do think that it, it it is kind of a shame that they're not taking a bit more uh, trouble uh, to just make these uh, much more quality uh, collectible artifacts, especially since they are charging the full three ninety nine for these. Uh, I think it would behoove them to really take a little extra trouble in making these collectible quality editions and not just uh, do a sort of a reprint that uh, makes it takes advantage of the modern technology to make it as uh, inexpensive as possible to, to reproduce. Um, but this, the highlight that I really wanted to bring up was actually two books, uh, one which is coming out this, this coming week, um, but also Harleen. So we have Harleen by Stepan Sijic and uh, Criminal Sam- uh, Sanity by Cami Garcia uh, and two artists, Michael Mayhew and um, uh, Miko Suyan. Um, and I think we've we've talked on this this podcast before about sort of Harley Quinn's overexposure. She's in the new Birds of Prey movie. She's in Suicide Squad. She's got a billion and one miniseries coming out. She had the uh, DC Inc. Uh, or Zoom graphic novel by uh, Mariko Tamaki and Steve Pugh. None of those have appealed to me as much as these two takes, and I was really surprised. Uh, now. I've admired Stepan Sijic's artwork and storytelling since I found him, you know, on DeviantArt, where he, he posted his webcomic, uh, I think it's Sunstone. I, I, I always get the name wrong, but it's definitely not for minors. Please, if you are a child or your parents are small children, don't hand them this comic without reading it to see if it's appropriate for your values. But it's it's really well told. It's um, really good character work, really lovingly done character drawings by by Sijek. He, he really cares about getting his um, rendering both psychologically and artistically right. And I think he applied that brilliantly to Harley. There's there's a really 
uh, interesting blend of slice of life comic where she's just sort of working, going through school, but she's also touched by horror, Batman fighting the Joker, the Joker noticing her. And there's a real sense of the operatic tragedy among all the, the mundane things about, you know, her lockers and her, her daily routine. Um, she mentions when she meets Harvey that in just a few months, she and Harvey would be murderers. Like there's that real, uh, tragic foreshadowing going on that I think is really well judged emotionally. So Harleen, I was really excited for, and it paid off. It's really good. Criminal Salmony, though, I wasn't as excited about, but um, I was surprised. Uh, Campy Garcia took this uh, story of uh, Joker and Harley, and instead of trying to synthesize what's gone before, like um, Cijic did, he basically took the animated series and the comics and just sort of blended them all together into his own vision. Campy Garcia took an entirely new approach and, and put this in a different genre. She put Harley in the place of a criminal profiler. So, like, in The Signs of the Lands, she's the Jodie Foster character. And um, the Joker is sort of a um, not quite uh, Hannibal Lecter-type character, but it's the same kind of relationship where she becomes completely fascinated by him in the pursuit Um the art is hyper-realistic. It's almost photorealistic in the way that um, the, the two different artists uh, portray it. I like the way that they've used one artist for the flashbacks and one artist for the, the current day. I think that gives it a really nice flavor, um, even though I'm not usually a fan of that level of photorealistic art because I think it tends to rob from the sense of action on the page. I think it does work in this case because this is a much more television style i mean it feels a lot like a criminal minds episode that um chris brought up for detective comics but i didn't feel this was nearly as uh, sort of manipulative as the the tropes of serial killers were in the um in the detective comics issue this felt much more respectful and carefully researched and really psychologically complicated um so chalk one up for dc they actually hired some really interesting talent on their harley quinn projects they're not just cash grabs there's real passion and research being done for these i don't know about all the other ones that are still coming out they they could have some lazy ones but i think these two are very much worth your time and they're not duplicates at all they're they're very different stories Message at the sound of the shriek. No, please don't. Ah! All right, so let's move on to our listener emails. We just have one. Um, Steph, could you read us our mail? Sure, and this is from ACN from actually two episodes ago. He said, After hearing your thoughts on Jurgens and Johns, I have to wonder, is DC in the business of making money? Are they introducing are they interested in first producing books? And then selling them because with John, because with John's he's not producing, and with Jurgens he's not selling. I know all about Stargirl and his sister. I've been at my job for twenty five years. If I literally wasn't producing, or if my quality slash quantity was way below what it was in ninety five, I doubt I remained very employed for very long. If John's has that much power that he can't be held accountable for doing anything, or if Jurgens is kept as a novelty item, I'm not sure that's the best business practice. 
Well, ACN, I apologize for not getting to your question uh, when it was first posted. I completely slipped my mind. It's a great question. Um, I think that DC... On these specific things, I understand why they're keeping Johns. Johns is powerful enough that he he can do this. I think that is telling that other than the three Jokers, he isn't really announced on anything. And Shazam has been sort of swallowed up by the um, the Justice League Doom War slash Batman Who Laughs storyline. So um, I think he's sort of edging out. Uh, if you're a fan of Jeff Johns, that's really kind of a bummer, but... The fact is he, he's not producing consistently enough. Um, he's not choosing collaborators or he's not um, working with editors enough so that the, the material is getting out. And that really does affect sales. Um, Jerkins? Well, I mean, except that Doomsday isn't that affected. Like, Doomsday has been doing decently consistent with prior sales and is actually doing fairly well. That is, that is very true. Despite but I think that yeah. I would attribute that to the fact that Doomsday Clock is connected to the ongoing plot of continuity, so people feel like it matters, although huh, we'll see if it does at this uh, point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it also um, is connected to Watchmen, which you know everybody knows about Watchmen, so there's, there's that real thing. And at this point, if you've bought 11 issues, why not buy 12? Um, yeah. uh, Jurgens, I, I really don't know. I am very puzzled about why they've kept Batman Beyond going. It does not feel to me like there's any stories that they couldn't just say, wrap it up, we're going to cancel it, relaunch it in a couple years. Um, I, I think DC is really... I, I don't want to say struggling, because I think DC is making a lot of healthy moves. The the push for the, the book market, the, the use of Black Label to really get some... Uh, exciting ideas out there, even if we weren't particularly excited by the Birds of Prey ones that we saw recently. There have been some really exciting ideas done in Black Label. Um, I think the main line has a lot of interesting stories that are going on that need to be resolved. Um, I, I don't think this is a case of DC just throwing money away. I do think that there are a couple titles like Batman Beyond where I'm just extremely puzzled as to what the thinking is there. Uh, either of you have any thoughts on perhaps what DC's thinking on, on Batman Beyond particularly, but also on letting John's delay so much. Yeah, you know, I think things tend to be cyclical, but it's it's sort of been in a rut. I think we, it almost has to go back to being old school where we had a publisher. I think with some respect, DC needs to get siloed. I think they're doing a good job with their DC Inc. and DC Zoom books. I, see, I saw some advanced product that looks gorgeous. I think that line of business is fine. The other line of business, perhaps soup to nuts, I, I think we've got too many titles of executive authority and it, things needs to be a little more streamlined. I don't know if back in the day, you know, they used to have like summits, if you will, where they charted a course of business and they had to take hardcore looks at numbers. They almost had to um, scrap some things to be be revealed. That said, I don't want a whole <laughs> directorial thing or shift where we have to start all over again. I don't want another reboot. God forbid that's the last thing I want. That said, I think we need to have some more consistency. I think we need to have more better effective storytelling with what does work and what does work. And I think that starts with the editor and the publisher having a better relationship. I don't know if there's just too much ego involved where we don't want to step on any toes, if you will. But I, I really think some hard looks, hard look needs to be done. And I don't know if that starts with the publisher or the editor or both. And I, I think that's where it begins, though. And we really need some consistency. And I just don't think it's there at the moment. 
Okay. Um, and if you have any questions, please feel free to write in either by email or as a comment or as a tweet or on the Discord. Just tag Dustin or one of us, and we'll be sure to put it on as a comment. Um, we really appreciate all of you patrons um, who contribute to our server costs and being able to provide giveaways. Um, if you are on the Discord server, you can participate in those giveaways by checking out our offers channel. So, um, as I said, we appreciate all our Patreons. Um, if anyone would like to support the work we do and, and make it possible for us to expand the site, uh, check out our reward tier items. Uh, we have behind the scenes, we have podcasts, we have early podcast release, we have uh, extra giveaway stuff, and it's all available if you're a patron on Patreon. So just check us out, the Batman Universe at patreon.com. Um, and our last thing is going to be the Monkey Watch. Monkey Watch 2017! As I promised, the DC timeline announced at New York Comic Con is going to be the subject of our Monkey Watch. Uh, DC is trying this thing where they do generations to try and allow all the different things from the last 80, 81 years to fit into one timeline. But my question to you two is, if you had three things you could do to the DC timeline, what would they be? Now, they can be building off of each other, or they can be three radically different ideas. So, Steph, three things that you would do to the DC timeline. You need to go first. This was your oh, idea, and I need to okay. think about it. Um, I guess I will go first then. So my three things are actually three radically different ideas. The first one is... Um, I would do what they haven't ever had the real courage to do and actually reboot and do a complete universe. Um, but they would also have a small number of titles going from the previous continuity. And that way they would be able to see which one sells better and they could do crossovers like Marvel did with the Ultimate Universe. So this would be a full reboot. There would not be four Robins. There would be one Robin. Um, uh, and, you know, I... I think the second idea would actually be to take a sort of Grant Morrison or Tom King approach, which is everything happened. Um, and it's all sort of revamped and you would have stories that could draw from the richness and you wouldn't be too hard and fast on continuity. Cause obviously some things can't really happen exactly like they did in the comics where they were published, but there's still that honoring of tradition. So this is sort of the polar opposite of my first idea. Um, my last idea is that, I would, um, and this would actually build off the everything happened one. I would posit some kind of um, thing that, like they did for the, the JSA. So the JSA, they all gave some kind of science fictional answer to why they're still around in the 1990s and early 2000s when they were uh, in their adulthood in the 1940s. So you had Alan Grant the Green Lantern, his Green Lantern powers, the Star Heart, actually gave him uh, extended life. And something about his adventures gave Ted Grant, the Wildcat, even though he doesn't actually have powers, gave him a similar effect. Um, I would do something like that and just push it into sort of a fantasy type of universe that allows us to really keep telling the same stories without having to uh, play with the sliding timeline, which, for those unfamiliar, is the idea that um, Batman's parents really were killed in uh, the 1970s, but he is also having current adventures in the 2000 uh, T 
teens, almost the twenty twenties, and he's not in his seventies. So um, that they do that by just saying everything happened, but you know you compress it into a short amount of time, and it all happened to the same guy. And um, I, I I think that's fun. That works in the everything happened, but I would prefer it if they uh, just gave a science fictional answer to it. So those would be my three things. Chris or Steph, who would be ready to give? And this doesn't have to be super well thought out. Just thoughts of what you would do to the timeline. Because it's not going to be. (laughs) My first two are super trivial. I would put, I'd fix fix Nightwing and have him marry Barbara because that's what needs to happen. And then I'd put Catwoman back in her purple cat suit. Because she needs the purple cat suit. And then thirdly, <laughs> um, oh gosh, I really wish Rebirth had kind of delivered on what it had started with, which is this mesh of of the two different universes. Kind of your idea of the crossovers with the two continuities, but just have that crossover be the constant continuity and all the stories you could tell with that, because that really kind of just fizzled out. And didn't have a crescendo of any kind and just was kind of sad. So I, I, re- I kind of wish there was a rebirth rebirth. <laughs> well, for those of people who are reading the Lois Lane comment by Greg Rucka, we do have uh, the old question, uh, Vic Sage, uh, crossing over into the new universe. And he remembers dying, but he also is alive. So I think there's See, still a chance. across the whole if that was across everything, that would be so interesting. I agree. I think but. it's it's unfortunate that the only person who seems to be really doing a lot with that is Bendis, um, because unfortunately Jeff Johns fell down on the job. Um, yeah. Chris, what three things would you do that a timeline? Just no limits. Okay. First up, I had yes, the JSA acknowledge that and just have that continual progression of that characters and the any future generations like Infinity Inc. Second thing I had was incorporate all the characters for with a sense of history. Your Sergeant Rock, your Balloon Buster, even going back to let's say Eric, you know, Son of Thunder, you know, and Arion and uh, the the older characters. Perhaps even include the fantasy characters with Warlord. You have a whole bit of explanation with Skataris where you could maybe do some things with the little time ripple where time really doesn't matter. Could this be cheating and maybe sprinkling that in there with respect to the DCU timeline. I don't know, but I would certainly like to see those characters have a presence with, with the DC timeline and not forgotten. And lastly, stretch it out. So don't have things move terribly fast. We, we did have some continuity where Barbara and Dick had some team ups mm-hmm. as a Dick Grayson Robin and a Barbara Gordon Batgirl. Did this, did this ever exist? If so, stretch that out. Let's, let's make sure that this did happen in continuity and, and make sure that uh, we had a whole number of adventures that were rich in history there that uh, perhaps were quote unquote untold and maybe explored at a certain date. So those were my three things off the top of my head. Yeah, I like that idea of not necessarily prequels, but just adventures similar to the Batman adventures um, tying into the um, the, the animated series. Um, I've always loved Batgirl Year One by Chuck Dixon, Scott Beatty, and Marcos Martin. That's just a fantastic thing. And I think that why couldn't you do a, a Batgirl Year Two or, or something similar, just set in the same time period, giving Batgirl and Dick Grayson Robin a chance to have more adventures, to really savor that time period. Um, 
and and tell it in in a fresh modern way because uh, Stella's read a lot of those those classic stories, but they don't necessarily work in the modern day. Um, and there's no reason why you couldn't build off of something like Batgirl Year One. So yeah, that's a that's an awesome idea, Chris. Um, listeners, send us your ideas about the timeline, what you would like to see, what uh, you would do if you had unlimited power to affect the DC timeline. Okay, so. With that, we'll say good night. This is Ian. This is Steph. And this is Chris. And you've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you next time.